Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, The River, the album, disc two. Hey everybody, and welcome to season two, Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, where we talk about every Bruce Springsteen album. We were talking songs, we were doing those in alphabetical order, now we're talking albums, we're doing those in chronological order and in track order. Album you know, edition! The way, the way things are meant to be. I'm J.B. Clark, and that uh, lovely and excited voice you hear in the background is Rob Carmack. Rob, how are you doing? J.B., I'm, I've been shot, point blank, right point between the eyes. I'm doing okay, how are you? I'm pretty good. Good. I'm having a nice time. You're doing great. We both just talked for like 15 minutes and we're, things are great. And it's okay, you know, if things are great. Yeah. It's okay sometimes for things to not be terrible. It's weird to, yeah, it's weird to like 2019. Yeah, go into, yeah. Things are great. (laughs) Things are great. Things are great. So anyway, uh, like you said, JB, we're talking about The River. We already started talking about The River. This is actually part two. This is Bruce's only double album. And so we decided to break this up into two episodes instead of doing a giant, basically what would amount to another one of our like year-end all-media overload podcasts. So we decided to to break this up into two episodes. Uh, So last time, we we don't need to get into the context. If If you didn't listen to the previous episode, go back and listen to that. We talked about... Like all the sort of like the critical stuff and uh, the release date and all the stuff that sort of led to the to the release of this album. So we're gonna we're gonna proceed into this album, assuming that everybody is already caught up on the preview. This is part two. This is a continuation of a of a conversation we already started a week ago. That's right. So anyway, we're jumping right back into it, JB, and we're gonna talk about track right twelve. Say so, and which is so we're, we're our disc two, or which is side three. If you have vinyls. If you if you ever bought a double album on vinyl, you might have noticed that they don't do disc one, side one. They do or they do side one, side two, then disc two becomes side three and side four. So now we're going to side three of the album, track twelve, track or track one on side three, whatever. Track twelve on the record on the album. <laughs> this is very difficult. The, the the numerology here is insane. Anyway, track twelve on the river is point blank. You used to say your prayers, little dog. You just said that like this is insane. It's never been done before. It's, it's insane. <laughs> we're we're off the rails here. <laughs> this technology is brand new in the world of double albums. So we're talking point blank. We're talking about point blank. Talking about point blank. So the original version of this song was nine minutes long, and it had a couple of different bridges, apparently. Apparently, Bruce really had a hard time. Have you ever, JB, you'll appreciate (laughs) it. Just couldn't sort it out. Have you ever either read the book or seen the movie Wonder Boys? Yeah. With with Michael Douglas? I I haven't seen the movie. I didn't realize there was a movie. Yeah, there, there's a movie. The, the book is by Michael Shaban. It's one of my favorite books. But the God, he's such a good writer. The story it, he is, and the story is about a a a college writing professor named Grady, who has the opposite problem of writer's block. Grady's problem is he's he's writing a novel and he can't stop adding more details to his novel. And and it, it's basically about like the ability to make choices. Like part of the ability to make choices as a writer is the ability to edit your work and to take things out of it. This song, Point Blank, was Bruce Springsteen's Wonder Boys Grady novel that couldn't be stopped. So for a, for a while, the original version of this song was nine minutes long at a couple a couple of different bridges, not one bridge, JB, a couple of different bridges, and then one like night, iterations of bridges over yeah. time, or or like within the one song there were. There were like multiple bridges within the one song, within the nine minute journey, within the nine minute opus that was this song. There were multiple bridges in in a single version of it, and uh, so like interview interludes and movements at this point. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's basically a rock opera at this point. Yeah, and so um, which is it's not even Bruce's longest song, but <laughs> but I mean obviously now it's it's much shorter. But the original version of it was very long. And so one night while Bruce and uh, John Landau were out to dinner. Chuck Plotkin, who was one of the mixers on the team, who later would go on to produce uh, Tunnel of Love, but he was just one of the mixers in the studio at the time. He went in on of his own accord, with, without permission at all. Very, very ballsy move here. He goes in and he edits all of the bridges out 
of the cut. And so when Bruce <laughs> comes back into the studio and Plotkin's like, give this a listen. Bruce was like, hey, I liked all those bridges. Then Chuck Plotkin tells Bruce that he, this is what he says. He said, this is what he's saying to Bruce Springsteen. He's saying that the, the bridges, they all felt tacked on and they're not organically part of the song itself. And so a lot of people would have a hard time hearing that. And you would expect like, this can go one of two ways. Either Bruce is going to listen or he's going to be like, get the hell out of here. You're fired. You're Th- fired. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thankfully, Bruce does not have too fragile an ego to hear this kind of thing. And so after that, I mean, first of all, after that, Bruce kept the cut that Plotkin made, which is the cut that we hear. And after that, Bruce continues to invite Plotkin to be part of his studio. So not only did Chuck Plotkin not get fired, this that actually was the thing that endeared him to Bruce and keeps him in the studio for like the entire next decade, basically. So solidified their relationship. Very much so. So because I assume because Bruce went in and listened, it was like, you know what? He's right. And the reason we know he had that response is because the version of this song on this album is not nine minutes long with multiple bridges. So anyway, uh, that's, that is the version, the version of the song we get is the Plotkin edited version. And the song was a single, but it wasn't, it was a single, but not released in the U.S. It was released in Europe. And Ramrod was the B-side when they released it. So, uh, so that's, that's that. Uh, Bruce played the song a bunch on the Darkness on the Edge of Town tour in 1978. And he actually started writing this song on a, uh, during a sound check on that tour. We got a little Roy Bitten on the piano, and it's a, it's a nice little song. JB, what do you hear when you hear the song? Uh, it's just like a lot of passion. Very passionate. It's a passionate song. Yes. Yeah, I really like it. I'm, I'm on the record being a big fan of this song, for it's sure. A, it is not the most passionate song on side three of this record. Oh, no, no. I, I will say. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a few. But there's there, we're going to ha- hear a little Steven uh, sing his guts out. In a little bit, but <laughs> Bruce uh, does talk about how this song uh, is about losing the power to play a significant role in the lives of others. To continue on with the conversation we had on the last episode, the whole idea behind this album is about coming of age and sort of figuring out adulthood and kind of sometimes doing an impression of being adult, an adult. And and so Bruce talks about how this song is about losing power and like basically to lose losing the power to play a significant role in, in the lives of other people. And the theme of becoming an adult and figuring out how human connection is supposed to work often is, is about realizing sort of like the, you do have a certain amount of agency in your own life and in, in the lives of others. And, and part of it is, is sort of the realization of that and kind of knowing what role you play in the lives of other people, you know? Yeah. So which is, which is what Cadillac Ranch is about. Oh man. Cadillac Ranch. Next track. Cadillac Ranch. This song is about death. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the, uh, this is one of the most fun songs about death I've ever heard. Oh yeah. Um, Let's get on that honky tonk road. Let's get on that honky tonk road to the cemetery. Yeah, because it. I mean, and I mean, honest to God, like that reckoning with mortality is part of becoming an adult. It's, it's the re- realization that you, you're not going to be young forever. That youth is temporary, and one day, even the most exciting new thing ends up at the junkyard, not unlike a brand new t- Cadillac. And I mean, I've mentioned this before. I'm one year away from 40. This song is really starting to resonate with me as uh, advertisers <laughs> lose interest in my opinion, and uh, <laughs> and all the things that are marketed to me are also marketed to like people my dad's age. That's a that's a. Terrible I'm glad that that's what you stake mortality on, like marketing. <laughs> yeah, I want. When, yeah, when somebody calls to do a survey on the phone. I want to be able to tell them that I'm under 35 because I know that and that's that means they're going to really care what I say. When I'm like I'm 39, they're like, oh, Man, okay. the fact that you even want to tell them anything <laughs> shows your age. I just want people to care what I think. Yeah. Even if oh, no, a- I always take the surveys too, but I don't walk around like telling people that I long for those days when I get calls. Well, I'm not walking around doing it. We're on a podcast. We're burying our souls. We're talking about Cadillac Ranch. All right, all right, all right. This is we're not. This is a casual conversation in which I brought it up inorganically. This isn't like the third bridge of Point Blank. We're talking about Cadillac Ranch here. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm with you. Um, You're right. 
Let's see. I, I think I did have a... Let's see. Uh, people who worked on this in the studio said that after several takes, Bruce started getting really hammy, and he tried to sing the song with an over-the-top Elvis impression, which, I mean, this song does sound very Elvisy. but according to yeah. the people who were there, uh, his Elvis impression sounded more like Richard Nixon than Elvis Presley. <laughs> and I really want to hear that. I want to hear it oh, so bad. Man. Also, the idea of like Bruce not being able to do an impression of Elvis is like... <laughs> It's unthinkable. It's priceless. Well, it just tells you like how hammy he must have been getting at that point. Yeah. This song is fun. I th- This was, by the way, JB, when we first started this podcast, this was the first song that we ever talked about from the river. Because we yeah. were going in alphabetical order. Yeah. That's so right. alphabetically, this is the first song on the album. Yeah. We're both big fans of it. It's fun. I like it. It's a nice little roadhouse rocker. Speaking of uh, rockers. What? Say what? I said, oh, what? <laughs> a rocker. Because the next song, yeah. track 14, I'm a rocker. You know what I didn't need to know? I did not need to know that Bruce is a rocker. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is cracking tonight. It's like uh, we were talking earlier about, I'm in this uh, this 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 uh, fiction workshop. And uh, it's like the uh, we always say, show me, don't tell me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the rest of this record is showing me. Yeah. You don't have to tell me. Though I do like this song swings nicely for me. We're a little conflicted. This is one of the songs that we're more conflicted on. You you gave this song two stars, and I gave it four stars. Yeah, I don't I don't really care much about this song. This and you can look, but you better not touch. Uh, to me, are the two misfires of this album. And yeah, that's I, fun. Yeah, I, I and really, it's just because it's so like overtly simplistic. Because the, there's so much. There's so many songs on this album. That have so much to say and that are so interesting and and good and worthwhile. And this one is just so like th- paper thin. Like it has nothing yeah. to say whatsoever. And and to to know that he could have instead put "Be True" on here. Oh yeah, you know that yeah. that bums me out. Be true's where it's at. Yeah, or uh, "Loose Ends" would have been another really yeah. good choice for that. But I guess he just needed for something sure. that sounded really big and like surfy. I guess because it does sort of have that going on. But it, I don't think you needed it. It didn't have to be surfy. <laughs> but it is surfy. I know, but you said surf like this. You know what this record needed? Like every good record, it didn't have enough surfiness. <laughs> well, I mean, and I say surfy, meaning like the sound of the Jersey Shore. You know, like yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm like with the you. sound of you know people standing near an ocean when they're listening to rock and roll. I just yeah, I I don't I just don't care that much. Even even at the live shows when when he was doing this on the River Tour, it was. And, and I mean, he did everything he could to make this fun. Like this is when he like gets down in the in the audience and he walks around. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, Bruce Springsteen always makes something cooler than it has to be or than it should have been. But uh, yeah, I just man, I don't I don't really care that much about this one. Didn't do it for you. Not at all. But you like it. You, you gave it like a four. It kind of, yeah. You feel like it kind of faded away. I mean, you're just like you got the pedal down here. But look, wait, wait, wait. Don't let's not, not jump over to fade away. Like, what do you like about it? Like, right. what what am I not hearing that you're hearing? I just, it's just like a swing and rock song, you know? Yeah. The drums, the piano, the guitar tones, the sax is just like, he's not doing anything on the sax except for just like blowing really hard, you know? Yeah. Getting that brass out. Yeah, this song does blow pretty hard. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. That's uh, at Rob Carver. <laughs> Are there a lot of Springsteen fans who will like stand for this for for I'm a rocker? Do you think? I think a lot of Springsteen fans would uh, agree that it does not blow. <laughs> I mean, hard. that's probably right. <laughs> no, that was a great joke. It was perfect. No, it. it wasn't it's a great just... joke. It was a fine joke. It was an okay. It, it was, was a, a great joke. It was it was the joke of a person who advertisers no longer care what he thinks. It was a joke of a 39-year-old man with three children. It's like uh, my pants fell down and you really shouted and pointed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's the level of, of uh, comedy. We're really took with. advantage of a, of a comedic opportunity. <laughs> I'm not about to let that kind of thing go by. I'm not, I'm not about to let that kind of thing fade away, JB. Somebody in this room farted. <laughs> We're going to stay here until I can make fun of them. 
Any other thoughts on I'm a rocker before we get to <laughs> long after it, that smell fades away? All right, so track 15 <laughs> is fade away. Now you say you found another man who does things to you that I can't. And that no matter what I do, it's all over now between me and you. But I can't believe what you say. So this one, once again, it's about desperation for real human connection. The, yeah. the fear of losing it. I mean, and really the fear of losing it is what makes this song what it is. And this is the one we, we referred to earlier about like the most passionate song on, on this particular side of the album. Uh, this is the Stephen Van Zant background vocal performance of the decade right here. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's got Stephen Van Zant just like belting it and it's got that organ and it's just like, this is like, you know, the theme song for like lament and longing. <laughs> well, and I mean, it, this is an, again, I mean, if you're looking at everything through the, the prism of adulthood, like this is sort of like the Winnie the Pooh syndrome. Cause I mean, obviously it's ultimately about like a romantic relationship and not wanting the person to sort of move on without them. But there's also sort of this thing about like, as you get older, if you want to, if you want to expand the idea a little bit, the idea of like, as you get older, the, the people that you grew up with are less and less a part of your life, you know? And like the, that, there are people, I mean, there are definitely people in my life who over the last 20 years have sort of in one way or another kind of faded away, not out of any sort of like malice or intent, just sort of like we, we grew up and we did other things. And like, you know, Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh, it just sort of is a, it, it, it isn't, or like if, if you've seen the movie Inside Out, kind of like Bing Bong, like there, there comes a point where you just, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you kind of grown past what, what a person represents to you sometimes. And, and it's hard yeah. and it's sad and it's, but that is part of adulthood that's part of getting older and and i i don't think that's necessarily like exactly what what bruce is getting at with this song but it, it certainly it, it has it has those parts built inside of it i think you know yeah this is the driving away from your high school graduation song absolutely hey if you were to drive away from your high school graduation here we go <laughs> what kind of vehicle would you drive away in obviously the, the kind of vehicle you see in track 16, which is stolen car. We got married and swore we'd never bar. And little by little we drifted from each other's arms. First I thought was just restless men. Are you are you like teeing me up for these? <laughs> no, it I felt think... like you left that one out there and you were like smile. You were just like waiting on me. No, this, <laughs> like, I feel like there's a pregnant pause. No, Bruce is teeing. I feel you like up. you were like like driving away from your college graduation and then you're just like staring at me. <laughs> And waiting through, through the through the internet, I'm staring at you like all the way from here to Mississippi. <laughs> like you had your phone Do out, it. you were typing, and you were typing like in a stolen car. You, you got it. <laughs> Take the cue. No, I uh, that was a totally organic accident. All right. Yeah, it's happened like three songs in a row. <laughs> it's pretty wild. I mean, that tells you just how cohesive this album really is. Yeah. So stolen car. We and we talked a lot about this one in in the episode designated to this. And in fact, we, we talked about how there's two different versions of the song, one uh, from tracks and the other from, from the album proper. And, and we, we spent a lot of time kind of digging into the differences between the, 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 the lyrical stuff. And so if you, if you really want to hear us talk about that, you can go back in the feed and find it. But basically, and this is the final track on, on side three, th- this is, this is a song about an uh, existential crisis. So, yeah. which is kind of funny. Cause I mean, I, I never really th- thought about it like all together, but, Side three is an existential crisis, you know? Oh, yeah. I never really thought about it as like a continuous through line, but like point blank, you've got the sort of the realization of I'm, I'm not a, a significant player in this person's life anymore. Cadillac Ranch is the realization of like death is coming for me. I'm a rocker is the insistence of like, this is who I am. No matter, <laughs> no matter what anybody else says about me, like I am certain that this is who I am. Almost like, you know, you like stressing it way too hard. Fade away goes back into the point blank idea of, like 
am, am I still like a relevant part of this person's life? And then stolen car is like, am I even living a life that is mine? Like this entire side, I never really put it together before, but this like the entire side three of this record is a full blown ex- existential crisis that culminates at stolen car. This is not my beautiful house. <laughs> Have you seen that Bernie meme? And I, where it's like, can I ask you again? No, this is not my house. <laughs> this is not my wife. I have not. That's right. and I left. I left at that so hard. I love a good meme. So this song is great. This song is so beautiful and haunting, and this is one of those that it just continues to appreciate. I think. Yeah. So I'm just I'm just hearing this for the first time. There's this songwriter I really love named Carolyn Spence, um, and she I mean she's obviously inspired by Bruce Springsteen, but not Bruce Springsteen inspired by her. She she's released much, an album uh, a couple of years younger. ago that, that you mentioned on our yeah. of the year. Oh yeah, so it's probably Spades and Roses. Yes, I, and I, there's I, a I've, song on there. Yeah, it's a good record called Southern Accident. And this it it reminds me of this song a lot, and I think it's a cool female sort of perspective on the same thing really yeah so what what is it what are the similarities like what what is it that that song is doing that this song is doing just some of the timbre of the lament i guess is part of it yeah but then but i don't know it's just sort of like that um oh man i don't even remember where i was going with it but just like the the melody obvious you know and the and the emotion of it they're obviously sort of intertwined. So is it, but it, does it sort of go to that place? Uh, like thematically, is it similar? Like the, like looking at my life and sort of wondering, is this, is this really my life or is it stolen in a certain kind of way? Uh, yeah, a little bit. It, it, it's that like looking at my life at a, at a time in my life. It's not quite like what was it stolen, but like looking back on it at a, at, a, at an older time. Yeah. And sort of like realizing what it is, you that, know, like, yeah. is this, is this who I am? Well, and that, that is, I, I'd say that's a really consistent part of adulthood. And I, I, I don't know if that ever goes away, you know, like I, I've had, I've had multiple moments, like just in the last 10 years, ever, I mean, ever since my kids were born of sort of like looking at my life and, and thinking like, am I just pretending to be a grown up? You know, like, I don't, I don't know if that ever goes away. You know, I don't ever wake up and think I am an adult now. Like, I don't I, know I, when that's going to go away. I don't, I don't know that it yeah. does. I, I think there's, there's a part of us and maybe because our, our formative years are mostly when we're kids and adolescents, but like there, it's just this weird sort of thing of like, this can't be right. This can't be like, there's no way I I'm allowed to just own a car and be responsible for three children. You know, like that, that can't be right. But but it is. Yeah. Like, all of it. Like you just wake up one day and you're like, yeah, I I am a grown up and I'm going to play the part of a grown up in my life. And it does sort of feel like a stolen car like that. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that ever like you said, I don't know if that ever goes away. I don't think it does, man. It's uh, so I'm very much someone who's like, you should look to everyone who has experienced something you haven't done and learn from them and like drink in the knowledge of the world and the people around you. Mm-hmm. And and like be inspired and learn at the you know the feet of scholars. But I also like started working on a college campus this year. <clears throat> Excuse me, I just cracked again. I started working on a college campus this year, and kids look at me and they say stuff like "sir" and they ask me questions, you know, about things that they need to know, and they're expecting like a real answer and not some hypothetical, you know, like. And I just want to look at him and be like, look, kid, I don't know shit. And anybody around here who tells you that they do is lying. Like, you've got it all figured out. Got to take over the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, because I'm not, you know, like, I think I'm, I think I'm important in my head. And then someone calls me sir. And I realize that, like, I'm not, I'm not important. I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done anything, you know, in any, any, there's no way all the 36 year olds I talked to when I was younger had, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> We're all just faking it, man. <laughs> that yeah, that's sort of the terrible realization is that like, every adult I ever looked to for like some sort of like wisdom or guidance or hope that like at least somebody knows what they're doing. Like all of a sudden, I'm having the realization of oh no, we've been we've been pretending this whole time. Like we gener- we come from a yeah. long line of people who have just been faking it. Yeah, dude, my parents are like these stoic, like incredible people, and to think that they were my age <laughs> when I was alive. <laughs> Yeah, that's makes wild. me think like maybe they weren't <laughs> that or like people see me when in a weird way, you yeah. know, 
it's I don't know, man. It's crazy. It's it's hard to like get your head around, and and I, I think that's why this song is so like powerful and resonant because it does articulate that feeling. The, you know, the feeling of you know, like what am I what am I doing here? Like how is how is it possible? Yeah. That this is my life, and it does feel like you're driving a stolen car. You're in or like you know the the David Byrne version. The this is not my beautiful house. Um, just the. This is what we were talking about before. Yeah, the David Byrne version of this song, like, is exactly what we were talking about before we started recording. Like, yeah, yeah. When you were talking about your job, up and I was like, "Are you okay?" And you're like, "Yeah, I'm okay." And then I was like, "That's not true. We're both great." We were just talking about how, like, how surprisingly great everything is. You know? Yeah. Like these people who we admire, like, showing up in our lives and like looking at us and seeing a human there. All right, so let's flip the vinyl. Let's go to side four. We got Ramrod. This one was great live. This is this is one of those like I, I feel like no matter what. This is a Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Just like put the pedal to the floor and bring the energy all the way up. Absolutely. This was this is one of the songs that was cut from consideration during the Darkness on the Edge of Town sessions. And that feels right. It feels like, yeah, this this song does not belong on that record at all. No, this is uh this is sort of on the on the sock op version, the doo op version. It's it's such a good doo op rock song. It is. It's Springsteen, uh, he told an interviewer one time that this song, and this is a quote, I'm quoting right now. He told an interviewer this song is, quote, a goddamn gas guzzler because, (laughs) (laughs) which, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to describe this song. Like I'd never in my life would have thought to describe a song like that, but that's so funny. What a cool thing to say. Yeah. Um, Because he wants to go racing in the street forever is basically the idea. Like. The, the, it's this is the fun version of racing in the street where this guy's just like let's just go forever can we never stop yeah. racing in the street um the the way I, I i wrote down in my notes the song is an enneagram seven so which is basically like <laughs> let's just do fun things all the time let's not think about heavy yeah. things like the fact that we're all gonna die one day let's just have fun so it's so funny that this song comes after like the entire side three which is an like, existential crisis stolen car is this my life am i gonna die one day are we all gonna die one day are we all just like little dots of dust floating in an endless universe and like we're all insignificant who cares let's race cars that's what this song does have you heard the sleeping at last enneagram seven song yes that's that i that's a great project by the way the enneagram oh it's so good the seventh song the first time i heard it still every time i hear it i have not heard the song with a dry eye i weep but the beginning of it, the first lyrics are how nice it'd be if we could try everything. I'm serious. Let's make a list and just begin. Yeah. <laughs> and that, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that's what this song wants to do. <laughs> this I mean, song is yeah, just, I love Ramrod. This song is a dog wagging its tail. It has so much enthusiasm. And as Bruce says, a, it's a it's a gas guzzler. And yeah, like I said, and which is funny because like this is sort this is the last this is the last truly like big energetic song on, on an album filled with big energetic songs. Cause the next three, yeah, we're gonna bring it down a little bit. Yeah. It, it's sort of a descent from now until the end of the album in terms of like tone and, and mood. So, it gives uh, you a shot of energy, you know, just so you can get through the, re- the back, the back uh, side of this second disc, <laughs> which I was really grateful for at, at the live shows because by the time, because when he was doing the whole album front to back, by the time he got to this, We've gone through, I mean, I'm a rocker in Cadillac Ranch notwithstanding. We've had Point Blank, Fade Away, Stolen Car. It's gotten pretty low. And so this song does sort of like, it It rises as high as it can go one more time before you have to like kind of get through the yeah. rest of it. Well, and the last record ended on the river, you know, so the last disc. So Oh, that's true. Yeah, so, you're right. So yeah. it, it's, it's I mean, had. It, it worked a, you up to get there, but. Yeah. You so, know, worked you up from Independence Day, so. Good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah th- this song has a lot of very high highs and very low lows. This album, very album. much so. Yeah, and so yeah, th- this this is the last sort of high before we go before we start to go low. Well, I'll tell you what: if you're driving a gas guzzler, you pay quite the price, right? Because track 18 is the price you pay. You make up your mind. You choose the chance you take. 
we talked last time about it. This song was kind of the this, this to me was the standout of the live shows. Like I and what I didn't know until after we saw him was that this song for a lot of like longtime Bruce Springsteen fans, this has sort of been the, like the white whale. This is this is one of those songs that Bruce almost never plays. And that it like to to be able to say that you were at a show where you saw him do the price you pay like that was a special kind of thing and that that he just yeah. toured all of North America and did the song every night is I think was really an exciting thing for a lot of fans and uh, I can see why like the the song the song just totally pops live yeah it's it's a lot more um, it's got enough emotional energy to carry you sort of even even though the song isn't a you know a powerhouse juggernaut rocker yeah. But it, but it is. It's so true to the theme of the album, right? Because it, it's about how like the choices we make have consequences. There's a natural cause and effect nature of all of life, and it's not that the choices are bad or the, even the consequences are bad. It's that I make yeah. a choice, and there are natural outcomes to those choices, and then I have to live inside of a world in which those are the outcomes. And so that yeah. it, that's part of adulthood, like the realization my actions matter, and like I, and I don't have full control, and I don't get a do over every time something doesn't happen. Like my kids are still in, in a situation now where if they do, if they have a, a project at school and they don't get a great grade on it, if, depending on the mood of the teacher, the teacher might like send it home with them and say like try it again, like which I appreciate because I don't want my kids to like struggle in school. But at the same time, th- there will come a day where people stop offering them those chances, you know. And I mean, yeah, I I don't relish that reality but i also recognize like th- that's that's coming for them because that comes for all of us that there there will come a day for each of us when we realize is that we i made a choice and now i have to live with that choice and i mean that yeah. was sort of like the big takeaway and not to make everything about this but i remember in, in uh, 2016 right after the election and uh then president barack obama was giving a press conference and somebody asked him a question and he said look um, elections have consequences. Like you don't, we don't yeah. get a do over on this. You know, we don't get to, we don't get to go back and say like, oh, I actually do care about democracy. I'm gonna, I would like to vote. I would like to vote this time instead of skipping it. And yeah, that's the price you pay. Yeah, the price you pay. Yeah, and I mean, we we're in another election year. We're we're in a situation now where we're really reckoning with like we need to get this right because the price we pay may be maybe a pretty pretty steep one if we don't get it right. Yeah. So anyway, like I I like to me like that is the I mean, all, all these things in this album are, are deep and resonant and really deal with, like, the transition into adulthood. But I think none more than the realization that my, my choices matter and my actions have consequences. And that, and that people not, – like, not, it's not just that I have to live with my, my actions, but other people in my life also have to live with them, you know? Yeah. And I think if you were going to sum up adulthood in one idea, I would I, – I think it's got to be that. So I, I yeah. love this song. This song, this song to me is – again – for for the longest time, this was one of those songs I almost never even thought about, and then I saw him do it live, and now it's. I'm not, I won't say it's my favorite song on the album because there's you know other songs that are just outstanding, but this is to me this is one of the MVPs of of the album for that for lots of reasons, but that that among them, I don't know. What yeah. do you hear? What what what, song, what, yeah. what are your thoughts on this? Um, I, at the end, I love he crossed. Uh, do you remember the story of the promised land? He crossed the desert and could not enter the chosen land. Yeah, the mosaics of the river. He's yeah, he stayed and he faced the price he paid. Yeah. It's just like life's real, man. You know. Yeah. Even the even the story of the promised land and God saving, you know, his people <laughs> features the price you pay. Yeah, there's a bittersweet thing about that. Well, and I mean, nothing it, is free. And and we are we are recording this like a month after the good place ended. You know, and like, what, what is what is that show if not an exploration of this of this idea, right? That there are that, that there's a bittersweet nature to life, and that what we do affects other people, and sometimes and, and sometimes we don't get a, a chance to to make it right, you know. Somet- yeah. Sometimes we get to go into the promised land, and sometimes we have to stand on the banks of the river and watch everybody else go. Yeah. You know, it's heavy. It's good. That show was so good. Do we? We should do a we should do a patron episode where we talk about it. And we'll, with like spoilers and everything. Yeah, we should 100%. make that one, one of our uh-huh. bonus episodes. The man, Jeremy, the no, not Jeremy. What's Jeremy his name? Bear-me. The kid, it, the kid, Jeremy. <laughs> What's the dot in the eye? <laughs> that broke me. 
That's <laughs> when they said what's the dot in the eye, I was like, that's what I was thinking. That's so funny. You know that I I heard an interview with Mike Schur, that, who's the creator of that show, and they asked him one of the questions was like, where'd you come up with Jeremy Barrymore? He's like, man. We were having the hardest time trying to come up with how to explain like how time works in the afterlife. And we had a new writer who had just joined the staff. And we were trying to explain it to her over and over and over again. And no matter what we said, like she was like, no, that doesn't make sense, though. And she would always keep poking holes in it. And then somebody, one of the other writers in the room, got up and wrote on the whiteboard, Jeremy Barramy, exactly as it's written on the show. <laughs> And he was like, it's this. And she kept asking questions, and he was just like, I don't know. Like, exactly like the conversation that Ted Danson has with the the forecast. He's like, I don't know what to tell you. It's Jeremy Barramy. Like, and Mike Sher was like, I just wanted to cry. He said, like, I don't know how, like, he just nailed it. Like, I should have just sent everybody home and just said, like, that's that's it. Nobody, nobody's coming up with anything better. And that's, that, like, they basically kept the whole thing in the show. Man. How great is that? That's incredible. I know. Just when, when Ted Dance is like, I don't know what to tell you. It's just Jeremy Barrett, man. <laughs> so anyway, I didn't mean to divert you. You were about to say something about th- there was a kid. I have no idea what I was talking about. I am so sorry, man. We got into Jeremy <laughs> There Barrett, was man. a kid? I don't think I said that. From the song or from the show? What show? The no, I was checking. I don't... <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I don't know what I was talking about. Well, all right. Well, if it comes back to you... Uh, let me know, and we'll 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 reroute the the conversation. We'll we'll double back. So uh, track nineteen on this album, the penultimate song on the whole record, is "Drive All Night." Lying in the heat of the Thanks to Chet Plotkin's editing, this is actually the longest song on the album, not Point Blank. That's right. And you would think the longest song on the album would have something deep and profound and big to say, but it's really just about a guy who wants to get a girl a pair of shoes. I think that's all it's about. But it's about so much more. It's about love. It's about I think I have, about I have like a really weird relationship with this song. Yeah? If it- you... At any point in time, ask me, are you thinking about Drive All Night a little bit right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, you got an 80% chance <laughs> Well, this is sort of, of me saying, yeah. You did this, right? Like, this is kind of your story with, with April. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you didn't, didn't bring shoes, about that. but, like, you, you know, you, 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 you had a long-distance I mean, yeah, relationship. I, I talk about this to her all the time, too, because I'm like, just tell me what you want. You know I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> And, she, and she'll always be like, yeah, you're right. Because <laughs> like at the end of the day, no matter how mad I am at her or like how whatever weird she's been or how terrible of a husband I've been that week, like if she's just like, I want donuts, but I want those donuts from that place by Jerry's in Memphis. Like <laughs> we both know good and well I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to drive to Memphis. <laughs> drive all night just to get you a donut. I'm going to get this donut, so I'm going to come back. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I believe you would. So I've got a weird relationship with this song. Well, it, And the, his crooning on it is, like, so good. It is. And I uh, there, and we, we mentioned in the episode where we talked about this, there's a Glenn Hansard version of this song that's really good with uh, Eddie Vedder and Jake Clemens. That is yeah, very much worth very, listening to. I just don't even know what it's about, but I also know what it's about. Yeah. I think. Well, at face value, on the surface, yeah, it's about it's about a guy who wants to drive all night to get a girl a pair of shoes. Basically, it's a way of saying, like, there's nothing too small that I wouldn't do for you. And, yeah, and like, I think it's a little bit about some of the same stuff that Redheaded Woman's about, too. <laughs> oh, you think the shoes are a euphemism? No, I don't think the shoes are. <laughs> I think the tender charms are. Ah, I see. But yeah, and it's interesting because on an album that is about adulthood, for the most part, this is sort of, it's like this last gasp of adolescence and youthful excitement that like, this is not a song that a 40 year old person is singing. You know what I mean? Like, like I, yeah. I will drive, I will drive 30 minutes max 
to pick something up for you if I depending on how late it is. You know, like but but the but yeah, when the, you need it. Oh, you need it at 5? I'm not getting it at 5. Well, there's going to be traffic. You know, it's funny. I I um uh, I ran into I ran into a guy a couple of weeks ago who was he's the dad of a friend of mine and he just he just turned uh he just turned 69. And I was at, and I, and I told him, I said, I said, hey, happy birthday. I said, I said, was it a good one? And you know, you're one year to seventy. And and he, he and he said, yeah. He said it was a good one. And I said, did you do any anything fun? Did you and your wife go out and do anything? He was like, well, we were gonna go to my favorite restaurant, um, but I got home from work and it was just, this is, honest to God, this is what he said to me. He said it was just, it was just so windy outside, and I just, I just said, I, I think I'd just rather stay in. It's just too windy. <laughs> it's too windy. <laughs> That, yeah, so this is not a guy. The guy, the, this man, one year away from his seventieth birthday, is not like I'm going to drive all night for a pair of shoes. This guy is like I, I will not go to my favorite restaurant for dinner because it's windy outside. On my birthday on my own birthday because it's windy outside. That that's a person I can relate to. Uh, I don't know, man. I can't go to sleep on my birthday if I haven't done something great. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so like the, the, it's an interesting sort of thing that exists like right before this album is done and it, it's funny that it's like it's it's one song away from ramrod which is you know like the big excited like this guy wants to drive all night too so like one guy wants to drive all night because it's super fun and he, he doesn't want to think about anything and another oh, i've guy, never thought about it like that right yeah they're like they're almost of a piece so like the motivation yeah. to drive and the motivation to like continue to insist that we're still young enough to to be excited about these kinds of things that seem quite trivial trivial and i think maybe that's the the point of the song is that it's this grand long song about doing something big but it's about something that's trivial. And it's like, yeah, like that's when you're young is when you get a chance to do that. And that it's paired, not paired necessarily, because the price you pay sits between them. But it's got um, Ramrod and then you got Drive All Night two songs later. And then I think it's also sort of of a piece with the final song on the album, yeah. which is Wreck on the Highway. Last night I was this interesting sort of thing because both the last two songs on the album and i mean and ramrod really so take place inside of a car and the you have this sort of this weird connection in which they both take place in a car late at night but one is about the heaviness of mortality which is wreck on the highway and the other one is about something that seems relatively inconsequential so it's the that all of these things and stolen car also like you have a lot of songs here that take place inside of a car because i mean obviously like that's where you do a lot of thinking, but also a car. And I, I forget which person we talked to. It might have been Lori. Like a car is a solitary thing, right? Whereas a train in juxtaposition, a train is a is a communal thing. A car is a solitary thing. And so, like you have this person sort of driving around in a car, having all of these thoughts, and it's all the same person. And ultimately, the album ends with, you know, I could I could drive around and like have fun. I could race. I could drive and do, like do a big romantic gesture. I could drive and question like the the purpose of my life but ultimately all of this is an attempt to sort of deal with the reality of i'm going to die and that's what wreck on the highway yeah. is it's finally real wreck on the highway is finally looking at the thing that he's been avoiding looking at for the entire length of the album which is his own mortality you know yeah and track one like we go all the way back to the ties the bind track one is the insistence that human connection is vital that it is a non-dispensable part of life but also track 20 is you're going to die. So let's keep perspective as we move through the world in the car, in whatever metaphorical car that we choose to travel through. So the, the whole album is, is really cohesive in a really interesting way. And I don't know how much of that is intentional and how much of that just sort of happened because that's sort of like the train of thought that Bruce was moving through. But but it's it, it is interesting. Like you have all of these like big adult grown up thoughts and it all sort of lands at. And as as you move through the world as an adult, one of the most important things you can never forget is that you are mortal and your time is limited. And that the reason, like to quote Pete Holmes, the reason chocolate t cake tastes good is because you know you're going to die. 
Yeah, I yeah. love it when he says that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a perfect quote. It's because it, it is it's it's the realization. And I mean, the Good Place sort of dealt with that also, right? Like the when they were talking about the nature of the Good Place is like one of the things that makes human one of the things that makes life on earth what it is is that every human being is is a little bit sad all the time because we all know that we're going to die whether or not we know it or not yeah. whether or not we're we're thinking about it consciously or not like that's just part of it's part of the system it's part of the operating system we just all it's a thing that we know about ourselves and it's it's yeah. torture but it's also a gift and that's what the song is yeah man it's it really uh you know I love it the song's about young life you know like being young, getting older, but like having the front half perspective to, yeah. you know, like the first half of life as Richard Rohr would say. Yeah. 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 Uh, In falling upward, which is a great book. Highly recommend falling it. upward. Great book. If this is, something you know, you I'm like reading uh, universal Christ right now. And there's that line uh, that he quotes from, I forget her name, the, uh, a poet. And he says, uh, she says, heaven, heaven is, uh, crammed or earth is crammed full with heaven every bush ablaze with uh every common bush ablaze with god <laughs> i love that oh i love that <laughs> yeah but uh it's it's so it's so beautiful and uh and it's so anyway richard Rohr, first half of life death uh <laughs> this this song is about being like it's about a young person dying not necessarily, but he well, says bit, girlfriend, yeah. girlfriend or young wife. So I guess it is about a young person dying. Well, he he sees like the narrator like sees himself basically in in the rat. Like the reason it's sh- he he's shook by it so much is because it's somebody he, he thinks it could have been him. Right, like you mortality know? isn't. I'm not invincible. It's not like I have 20 more years guaranteed. Like. That guy was my age. Well, especially since he spent so much of this album in a car. You know what I mean? Like Cadillac yeah. Ranch. Like so, what we just talked about. Like, there's so much in this album all through it. That, or even Sherry Darling. Sherry Darling takes place in a, in a traffic jam. You know? Like yeah. so much of this album happens inside of cars. And the final song is about somebody who has a car wreck and dies. You know? And so like it's like the, the whole thing is like you said, he identifies with this person. Yeah, because he spent the whole album thinking about life through the through basically looking through a windshield. And now he's, yeah. he's well, realizing the, that like that could be me. Like you won't you get in a wreck on a highway if you're in a car, you know? Yeah. Uh, the writer gets to move the story along however they want to as long as they do it intentionally, you know, and he wants to like the vehicle he wants to move the story along and is literally driving the story. Yeah. He wants to move at the speed of a vehicle on the highway in this record. Yes. He wants to, he doesn't want to, this is not him driving around slowly in a small coastal town, you know, like so many of his records are, this is him. I mean, half, I guess, you know, a quarter of his records are about that. And a quarter of his records are about, flying down the highway but this one isn't even about leaving that town this one's just about getting out of on the highway and, and moving at that speed you know yeah no matter what so well and, and also how interesting that his seminal record which is born to run like the the the, the centerpiece of that album is about a, a guy who escapes and has a better life in a car he's like sprung from cages on highway nine you know yeah but here, it's like it, there's the dark side of that too, it, which is like sometimes the thing that you escape in is the thing that kills you. You know, like the yeah. it, there. I mean, there's so much depth and so much rich, richness. And if you look look at the entire Bruce Springsteen body of work up to this point, it's it's like he he finally with this one song has this realization that he's been avoiding his whole life, which is like sometimes the car is my savior and sometimes the car is my tomb. You know, and, he's saying he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Yeah, 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 man, absolutely. That's a good way to put it. Or like I mean, yeah. well, and and also like going back to the the quote that you mentioned from Richard Rohr, like the entire world is filled with burning bushes. For this guy in this song, the burning bush is the car accident. He looks at the car Let me look up that poet. Yeah. Because so that we can give her her due. <laughs> well, and and to to sort of like to to kind of catch everybody up on the metaphor if you're not familiar with it, uh, the burning bush is a story in, in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, about a guy who is spoken to by God and, and called by God to go and, like, 
rescue people from slavery, and God appears to this person in the form of a burning bush. And so when we talk about burning bushes, what that's that's a metaphorical way of talking about how like we feel like like the gods are speaking to us. So the the divine is is attempting to get my attention to show me something bigger than myself. And so this guy yeah. is he's he's passing a wreck on the highway, and it's not just a mangled car, it's a burning bush. It's telling him, pay attention to your own life and be aware yeah. of your own mortality. Like the, it's like God, it, in the, in the version of this story, God is speaking to him through the burning bush. That is a car accident. Yeah. So the, the quote by Elizabeth Barrett Browning is earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. And it's just, yeah. Uh, the rest sit round and pluck blackberries. What a great quote. Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Yeah, she's a great. Wow, that's a great quote. Oh, man. But yeah, anyway. I mean, th- this song this song is great. I love this song so much. This song would not mean as much if it didn't exist at the end of this giant album. This is why The River needed to be a double album. Because Bruce had to spend this yeah. much time building this world and asking these questions and showing us all these different facets of like coming of age in order for this song to have the weight that it has, you know, for us to feel. And we almost had to, what? we almost had to emotionally exhaust ourselves to get here. You know, we had to drive all night and that's, yeah. And that's what this, this sort of up, down, up, down motion throughout the whole record is, you yeah. know, that's why. And it's not like an easing in a, it's like, it's just, rock and roll straight into like the real shit straight into rock and roll. Yes, absolutely. Well, and that's why this album is so necessary and it's so essential and it's such an important part of Bruce's body of work because, because that's, I feel like that, that is a good encapsulation of what his, his work is. You know, it's, it's him sort of living inside of the tension of big, fun, bombastic, life giving energy and like heavy existential, like reckoning with the self. You know, like you see that yeah. at, at his live shows, but also in like how he sort of toggles back and forth from big E Street Band tours to the Broadway show or Devils and Dust. You know, like he sort of he he lives in this space between big, giant, loud, raucous party and heavy, like dealing with like, the, the biggest questions that humanity has. And I feel like his work is made up of both of those things. And this album yeah. is made up of both of those things. I, I think this if you if you want to know what what makes Bruce Springsteen great, there's a lot of places you can go. But if you want to know like what Bruce Springsteen is about, I think this album is about as close as you can get. You know. Yep. So absolutely. I don't know any final thoughts on on the river before we shut it down. If you haven't listened to it as a whole work in a while, do that. Don't don't skip around. It's, you know, put aside an hour and a half, do it on Saturday or something. I'd say go get you one know, of those. Spend some time with it. Go get one of the many shows available for download that he did on that first leg of the river tour. Like, go, I mean, I, I, I will regularly go and listen to the show that we attended, and um, yeah, it's great. I, I love listening to him perform this this album as as he is now. You know, in in his older age, I think I think it uh, there, there's a richness to it, the, and maybe it's just because the E Street Band is just they've, they've just continued to get better over the years. Um, but I, th- I think the live performances of this record are so, so good. I, I could listen to it forever. I'm so, so glad. JB, one of the coolest things that ever happened was that we got to go and listen to Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band perform this album from top to bottom. Yeah. It's, oh, man. You know, and since that, I've seen a lot of bands announce, like, record shows. Yeah, I've been to a couple of them. I've been to, I, I went to see U2 do the Joshua Tree. That was pretty exciting. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. Not as good as this, though. Nothing's as good as this. Uh, they mention, I don't know if they were talking about this tour or the original tour, but I think it was this one. Adam Pally was on Mark Maron's podcast, uh, this last episode and they were talking about guitars and Adam was like, yeah, I had this telly with humbuckers, this black telly with humbuckers on it. And Mark says, oh, that's not the Springsteen telly though. And, uh, and Adam <laughs> goes, no, 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 it's not. He goes, but he did play this one a bunch on the river tour. <laughs> oh, and I was just like, this is the most specifically created for JB content yeah. out there. <laughs> It's so Mark funny that Mears, people just know Adam that. Adam talking about Bruce Springsteen's guitars that he played on a specific tour. Very cool. I, I'm gonna have to listen to that then. I love. I love. Yeah. I love when stuff goes that. You know. And they go on to talk about like who plays a Stratocaster the best, and then they're both like <laughs> arguing about Jack Black because he uses too many effects. And Marin's like, I like my guitar to kind of sound like a guitar, and Adam's like, I like my guitar to sound like a demon. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's very jet black of him to think. So where do you put the river? Like if, if like looking at the the body of work up to 1980. So we've got five albums now. So arrange the albums for me if you can. This is where it gets hard. I know, Rob. I know. This is where you have to start making decisions. Yeah. And I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I don't think it's as. See, I don't think it's as good as Darkest on the Edge of Town. We've already established that also Born to Run isn't quite as good, but I like it more, right? So then... Well, it um, depends on why you rank certain things the way you rank them. It's, it's all right. subjective. So you don't, but, like, Born to Run is, like, my favorite. Darkest on the Edge of Town is probably, like, better writing, recording, playing. And then The River is definitely not better playing, but it's live and it's feeling, you know, and it's so good. Yeah. And it's not necessarily better production either, but it, it just feels the energy of Bruce trying to like put the story out there. And I think it's the first time he tells like a story that's this cohesive. He tells some good stories. Darkness and Born in the uh, Born to Run are like good stories, but it's not cohesive like the river is. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, you're right. So it's like, do you rank it higher or lower than that? <laughs> I mean it depends on what you what like what qualifies for certain types Can of Can I say rankings. I don't know? Yeah. Or do I have to answer this? No, I mean look man, we make the rules here. Don't know. I, I put this right in the middle. I put this at number three for me. I, I'm Born to Run number one, Darkness two, The River three, Wild the Innocent four, and Greetings five at this point. Yeah. Well, to me, it's like, how can you say that Sherry Darling is better than any song on Darkness on the Edge of Town? Because it's not, like, deep, right? Yeah. But, like, the recording of it on the river and in context with that whole story, like... It's an it's an important song. <laughs> yeah, as a whole, it it like it all met. Well, I mean, Sherry Darling is one of my favorites on the record. So like I I, I have a higher estimation of that song than than most people probably. But but yeah, I it it, it is hard because Darkness on the Edge of Town has an importance to it, like you said. Like it, it feel it feels weighty, and, and and maybe because it's half the length of this one. And and yeah, I, I just there, there's so much here. There's the, the river is it's one of those albums that just continues to give new gifts. And I mean, you're, you're, you'd be hard pressed to find things that are better than like "Stolen Car" or "Wreck on the Highway," you know, anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, man, it, it's. I, I I will say this is my favorite album from the entire 1980s because I have that list as well. And <laughs> this is this definitely is it. it came out I want a list of lists that you don't have. <laughs> I, I th- which would be ever shortening. You would rectify it so quickly. Yeah, I mean, if you could come up with yeah, if you can come up with a list that I don't yeah. have, I'll make that list today. Even if it's like something you're not passionate about, you know, if I, I was like, so oh, much. you've got all the lists except for your lists of least favorite uh, minor league baseball teams in Texas, you'd be like, I think I can work through that. <laughs> oh, sports. That's where that's where I draw the line. I don't I don't make sports. Yeah, lists. but I think like if you had all the other lists except for a couple of sports lists, you'd be like, ah, I mean, that's maybe. not true. You don't care. Like I will be talking about something you care about and then just. Make a sports reference in that story. I mean, I can make you're just references. Like, you just immediately turn off. Yeah, but you're just like, oh, I'm not interested in this at all. No, I, I have a. There's a gap in my. In what, whatever part of your brain cares about things, uh, there's a yeah. gap in there that where sports is supposed to be. But yeah, man, if you were president and they were like, all right, and here's the nuclear football, you'd be like, what are you guys getting for lunch? Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. I'm gonna get out of here. And they'd be like, uh, sir, the nuclear. You'd be like, yes, football. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> To, to use the presidential analogy, I think about sports in the way that Donald Trump thinks about everything other than himself. <laughs> you think about sports about like he he and his staff about the written word. Yeah, <laughs> how much they they think about like how, how much he would be interested in, in a quote by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Jeez, I've read so many like <laughs> reputable writers talk about how sort of proudly. Uh, like post literate, <laughs> the White House is post literate is a very generous way of saying ignorant. Ill- well, like many people say illiterate, <laughs> and many people say post literate. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Well, it's it always ends up being about that at some point, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does, man. If only it could not. If only. All right, man. Well, uh, let's let's call it a night. But if you if you're a patron, we're not totally done, so uh, we're, we're going to sign off here on the main feed. But if you want to jump over to the other feed, we're going to do an episode where JB and I list off our top five album closers. So sort of the the wreck on the highway slash Pony Boy memorial list. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the songs that, that end an album in exactly the way you would want them to. So if you want to join us over there, if you're one of our if you go uh, to patreon.com 
forward slash spring or patreon.com forward slash springsteen and join at the one dollar or higher level you can participate in those uh discussions as well so jb any final thoughts before we sign off no man i i think i you asked me that question like 10 minutes ago and i i spent a long time giving you my final thoughts all right good point okay no one has any more final thoughts we're past the one hour mark thanks everybody so much for listening and we will see you next time when we talk about nebraska (laughs) 